it's difficult to me to admit on a deep level how internally racist I am. Well, that's why your article was so powerful, because you were confronting that. Hi, I'm Michael C. Patterson, and you are listening to a special episode of the Mind Ramp podcast featuring an edited interview with Victoria Starr Marshall, the owner and publisher of Third Act magazine. In the most recent edition of Third Act magazine, Victoria felt compelled to step out of her roles as publisher and editor and contribute an article about her reaction to the current racial justice movement. But at this point in history, you decided that you needed to write an article for your magazine, right? Well, (laughs) that's because um, uh, that wasn't my initial uh, thought. My initial thought was I needed a Black voice in this magazine. And um, given the time and that I needed, and I'm always certainly focused on diversity in the magazine, and it's always a challenge because I have such a white life. Right. But... But when I reached out to the the few black writers I know, they very kindly declined mm-hmm. to write and instead challenged me to really look at this and look at myself. So I decided to take up their challenge. What do you think they were telling you? Were they saying it's too easy for you to throw this off onto me, the black person, to write an article and then you can say I've done it? Uh, Oh, absolutely. And they were completely right. You know, I mean, I don't have to do any deep dive work. Um, um, I can tell myself, and I think this is what a lot of white progressive people do, Mm -hmm. is we say, well, you know, look at I have black writers. Look, I've got this voice. (laughs) Look, you know, I've checked that box. Barbara Earl Thomas, the she was a former uh, director of the uh, North uh, Northwest African American Museum in Seattle, mm. and she is a uh, artist and a writer. She was so kind to spend oh an hour and a half on the phone with me, and this is before I had done any reading or read any of this stuff, done any work at all. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was so clueless I, that I'm embarrassed. Um, how clueless I was and how kind she was, you know, being just the director, writing, coordinating, having the the balance of writing in the magazine wasn't enough. She, she was not going to let me off the hook with that. And I'm so glad that she didn't. Love your title blinded by the white. How did you come up with that, and what does it mean? Well, um, you're probably familiar that Bruce Springsteen wrote the song, right. you know, Blinded by the, the Light. And I don't know about you, but music is playing in my head all the all the time. And Yeah, as soon as I read the title, I had the soundtrack for the article. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and um, it perfectly explained how I felt, like... That I have, that my life is so white. I, I'm completely blinded by it. I can't see. I couldn't recognize, as as I said said in the the magazine, how much I benefited from our white supremacist society. 
and and how how I really did live my life like being white, being me was just normal and and that other people were the other from normal. And mm-hmm. even though in my heart I didn't hold any malice, right? Um, I didn't care enough. I didn't pay enough attention to really dive into uh, having the empathy uh, for their experience because it was just just so foreign to me. Right. I've had this awakening, and what's funny is that, you know, there's this term woke, you know, people make fun of it, the woke people, and even <laughs> I thought, oh, what is this woke, right? I have heard that. It's weird, you know, people are woke, and it's just this, you know, this new, you know, colloquialism or whatever that, that I just thought, oh, that sounds kind of silly, but after I, my conversation with her and, and subsequently some of the reading I've done and some, I I actually feel this. I feel this awakening. And it, and it certainly doesn't mean that I've arrived, but I feel this opening and awareness that I just didn't have before. Like a veil has been taken off of your eyes and suddenly you can see things that were there, but you hadn't seen them before. Yeah, that- I hadn't bothered to pay attention to them, basically. I mean, it was yeah. always there, but yes, it was like the veil was lifted. That's great. Yeah. You had said in your in your article, I have helped perpetuate racism not by what I have said and done, but my indifference to it. That's part of the blindness. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you look at the definition of indifference, it's, it's just, you know, lack of interest. Right. Mm-hmm. So in my self-centered white world, I'm certainly aware of things and I'm aware of discrimination and I'm aware of challenges that the black community faces, but it's, it's just never really directly impacted me. And because it's just never really directly impacted me, I've tended to focus on things that are more in my worldview. So when I look at my energy, of course, aging was was part of it. Growing up Jewish, anti-Semitism um, was certainly part of it. A lot of folks really have trouble with um, looking at racism. And I know even my dad does, um, who's very, considers himself very progressive, very liberal. And I've had this conversation with my dad is that you can blend in to the dominant society and, you know, you're not going to stand out. You can blend in while you're doing all of this work. But when you are visibly different looking, that makes it a lot harder. I've started reading Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast. Oh, okay. She, I mean, only in the first first chapter or so, but she makes the point that she thinks it's a thinking of the American system as a caste system is more instructive, you know, sometimes than racism because possibly because we have so much baggage built up about racism. She says she studied the caste system in India because that's sort of the classic caste system. But it's the same thing in America and the top caste and in in America, that's European whites. 
Mm-hmm. And part of the that whole built-in system is that every step below you is is below you and is, is somewhat inferior and has less power, fewer resources. Um, kind of instructive for me to. That's part of that blindness that I had not, you know, really considered. I think that's what you're you're describing. Does that sound right? I haven't read the book. I read about it and I've read good things. I actually heard a, an interview with her, which oh. I thought was was very, very good. Yeah, I think you can look at it all different kinds of ways. But I think that in this country, it really does boil down to that Africans came here as slaves. And that says a lot about how we view people. And America wasn't the only uh, white nation that had slaves, but we had them the longest. We took the longest to give them up. And uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a challenge. This is a challenge. Do you think that all white people are inherently racist? That being white carries with it a sort of a foundation of racism? That's tough. <laughs> you know? Me too. That's why yeah. I'm asking you. you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that all people are comfortable around, more comfortable around people who are like them, right? We all, we talk about our tribes, right? Whatever that, that is. So we're comfortable about people, around people who have uh, similar attributes to us. Um, education levels, worldviews, you know. Um, and if you look at ma- a lot of married couples, it's almost so many married couples, you could say we're brother and sister. People mm. fall in love with people who have often have similar facial features to them. <laughs> so I think there there is um, almost like a and I'm like, God, I, I'm not a, a scientist or a biologist, but but it almost seems like there is something in nature that that drives that that sense of wanting to be with people that are like you. And um, I think when that gets perverted, mm-hmm. that's when you have racism. When that gets goes beyond just acknowledging, oh, gee, I'm just more comfortable around people who who look like me um, and have other attributes that I can relate to. It gets perverted to well, we're the, we're the best. We're we're you know, when it becomes a power and control issue um, and a, a tool for dominance, then that's that's when racism comes into play. It's difficult to me to admit on a deep level how internally racist I am. Well, that's why your article was so powerful because you were confronting that. Like you said, I. I like the privileges that I, I like not having to worry about. I mean, there's other things that have impeded maybe advancement, my sex, my, you know, religion, whatever. Right. But my skin color has never been one of them. It's one of the things that's a little scary for me because like you, I'm recognizing, oh, there is this inherent <clears throat> however we characterize it. There's a, I have bought in, I'm complicit with white supremacy. And that's, I don't want that. And I want to figure out how to move out of it. But what's so difficult is, like you're saying, it there are all these nice things that come with it. <laughs> There's all this comfort, this privilege, this ease, this lack of fear. And that's very hard to give up. And I see where, I think we're seeing that playing out in today's society. I mean, 
there are those people who love that privilege and are going to fight tooth and nail to, to save it and to preserve it. Others, I think like you and hopefully many others who are trying to say, well, we've got to give up this privilege somehow because it doesn't work for the, for the greater good and for the, for the ultimate benefit of all of us. Well, I think we're missing out on a whole lot. I mean, we, there's a whole group of people who have been, whose voices have been squashed, who've been disenfranchised. I mean, we're talking about brilliant, mm-hmm. brilliant people, artistic people, um, people who who uh, caring and giving people, um, people who can teach us a lot, who can add tremendous value to our society and our culture. And we have operated for so long on the assumption that we don't need anything from that whole group of people, that we're, right. we're fine without that, that they can just, you know, stay in their their little their side of town or their whatever um and and that is just a huge um loss you know we don't know what we don't know we don't know what we're missing and until we dive into that um we won't know um but i have all the same internal fears i have a visceral fear that society has been very good at instilling in me especially black men but um and it's weird how I noticed, you know, I had a black nanny when I was a child and I mm. loved her and, but I, but never really interested me enough to, yeah. you know, dive into what her experience, because as a child growing up, what did we see growing up as children of the fifties, right? And, right. and so all of the images we saw on TV Black people were nannies, so she fit right into, or, or they were caretakers of white people. So, uh, you know, from Shirley Temple to, you know, all of the little, the images we were shown uh, as children fit, just fit into that. And that was, I, I, I never thought anything different of that. That was right. normal, right? That right. was normal. I didn't realize that it's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it, I'm noticing what I notice. So one of the changes that's happening is is me noticing that what I notice. So when I see um, a very articulate, thoughtful, educated black man giving a presentation or a talk or mm-hmm. or something, you know, not unlike Obama, I think, oh, look at there's a you know, look at look at this articulate, educated, amazing person, and he's black. I think of it as an anomaly, right? right? And, and that's what horrifies me yeah. in myself when I notice that. I've been doing a lot of meditation and mindfulness, and one of the, the sort of big lessons out of mindfulness is paying attention to what it is you're actually thinking. And you know, like you're, you're saying, uh, we have all these immediate reactions and these immediate assessments of people. So I think part, one of the first steps is just recognizing that's, that that's happening in us and, and acknowledging it. Because if we don't recognize it, then you know, we won't be able to do anything about it. So. Mm-hmm. so I think that's the first step is noticing. Well, let me ask you, what are your immediate steps moving forward? Well, you know, that's, it's, it's challenging. And, I, and, and again, that's difficult to admit is how easy it is to just to dive right back into my life, right? I've got a magazine to put out. I've got this to put out. 
Um, but I have a nice little stack of books now. Um, <laughs> but I think that most important is that I continue to reach in to find the courage to speak up against racism when I see it and be humble enough to know that I have a lot of learning to do. Thanks so much for listening to this conversation about racism and white privilege that I had with Victoria Star Marshall, publisher and editor of Third Act magazine. You can access Victoria's article online. Just Google Third Act magazine blinded by the white. And and while you're there, check out the rest of the articles. Victoria has put together a great magazine. My contribution to this edition is an article called Finding Hope in 2020. The mission of the MindRamp podcast is to promote qualongevity, the ability to couple longevity with quality of life, to live long and live well. Speaking for myself, it's hard to feel that I am living well unless I am actively playing a role in minimizing the injustice and oppression in our country. I can't be the kind of person I want to be until I break through the protective shell of my whiteness and confront the American caste system that prevents people of color from enjoying the privileges that I enjoy simply because I am considered white.